So, um, shepherds, do you know that you really need a shepherd? You probably, and, and do you know that actually shepherds and needing a shepherd are really central and deeply woven into pretty much all human cultures that have ever existed? Very powerful metaphor for God, for example. Like you read the Bible right from the get-go, pretty much Genesis, you see shepherds pop up all the time and it's a metaphor used for God. If you think that's not true, let me ask you this question. Um, uh, what do you think the most common uh, Bible reading is at funerals when people who want to get buried in a church and you ask them, you know, what would you like to have read at your funeral? What do you think is the most common Bible reading? Psalm 23, the Lord is my consultant. He drops in and gives me some advice, craps all over the place, flies off, and charges me a lot of money. Is that, uh, what is it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Why is that so important? Why do we, deep down primally in, in our souls, hardwired even into the soul of a secular culture, a culture who mostly ignores God, there is this deep, yearning for a shepherd. I might not know that that's what we're yearning for. question is why? And I don't think we can understand this text of John 20 and how profound it is until we unpack that a little. So let me, um, let me do a drawing for you to try and show you why we need a shepherd. Um, here's me or you. Looking pretty happy. And... Um, I need a shepherd because you and I and us, we're on a journey, aren't we? And uh, we're on this journey and where we're wanting to get to is where? Well, where, where do we, what's, what's the destination? Where are we heading? What are we looking for? Heaven? Yeah? Or how about this? Life. We want, we, we, we want life. We want it in all its goodness. So the, the, the classic philosophers say, you know, what we're really looking for, this life is made up of the true, the good, and the beautiful. That's what we want, truth, justice, and beauty. We want a, we want a world that's full of that, and we want our lives to be full of that. And why we're on a journey is because we know we're not there. Don't we? Everyone knows that. We, we might, you know, take our selfies and project the image that we've got it all together, but there, we're on a journey. We know that where we are now is not where we want to be, so individually and together and as a culture, we're, try, we're trying to find life. Uh, there's another principle the philosophers talk about. It's called the eudaimonic principle, and the eudaimonic principle is this, that we always do everything because we want to be happy. Or to put it another way, we never do anything that is not at its core motivated by our own happiness. Everything we do really uh, is driven by that because that's what we want, right? We want, we want that life. It's deep, deep, deep within us. Now, um, here's the problem as we're on this journey. Well, there's really four challenges to each of us, aren't there, if we're honest. 
And the four challenges are these, right, as we're on this journey. The first thing, there is a challenge that we're terribly, terribly vulnerable, aren't we? Little Red Riding Hood goes out to go visit her grandma, and she's in the big forest, and she's terribly vulnerable. And, and we're vulnerable. We, we like to think that we're not. But we are. Um, Margot, my wife, is, is off uh, to the Solomon Islands tomorrow morning. She's off for a week. A lot of us here travel all the time. Here's what I suggest you do before you travel next time. Just uh, go on YouTube and search for, uh, you know, craziest landings. <laughs> Oh my goodness, there's nothing that makes you feel vulnerable as, you know, a plane getting caught in the crosswind as you come down and we're vulnerable, so vulnerable, and we pretend that we're not, but we are. Uh, Old age and disease strip away the illusion of our invulnerability. Uh, The other problem we have is that we're, um, and we get ourselves lost, don't we? We get ourselves lost. Uh, we, we don't actually know how to get to this path, how to get to this destination. We're, we're overwhelmed with choices. We don't know what to do. And so we, we often find we've made really dumb choices in life, don't we? And I need some guidance. I've, look, I don't know about you. I find it hard to know what to order at a restaurant. Don't you? I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm exhausted by the choices before me. And I'm like, I don't know. And you know what's even worse? You go out to eat with friends and you go to a, you know, Australian Asian fusion restaurant and there's like 25 gazillion things. And everyone goes, well, let's just order, you know, like 20 different dishes. And now I've done just have to order one. I now have to try and negotiate to order 20 dishes that are going to make us all happy and give us a great, I just, it's too, I don't know. So I just say to Margot, won't you order? <laughs> how we get lost, don't we? I mean, like, how do you, how do you know what to do with your life? And you find the problem with being with lostness is we're often lost long before we know we're lost. And you discover the choices you've made have put you in a place that's really pretty bleak and isn't getting you close to the life that you thought you wanted or deserved or was held out to you. And the other problem with this on this journey, you know, where, man, we are continually hungry and thirsty, aren't we? And here's the challenge with the hunger and the thirst on the journey is no matter what food and drink we get on the way, it never quite hits the spot. Every time you think you finally, if I just get this, and I get this, and then I discover that I need more. Don't you? I do, all the time. So we're hungry, we're thirsty. The things that we think will, will sustain us for this journey don't. And then the final thing, man... On this journey, we, are, we get battered and broken. <laughs> Don't we? Yeah. <sighs> Tonight will be great because I get to do this to a congregation of mostly teenagers and university students and they don't realize quite the full force of this. <laughs> but, you know, you live for a bit. And you realize that on this journey, there is all kinds of stuff from within us that's going to hurt us, from outside of us that's going to hurt us. So you know why we sing about and we read that the Lord is our shepherd at our funerals and not at our graduations? Because when we're battered and broken enough that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's when we know we need a shepherd. (laughs) 
You don't need it when you're 21 years old and graduating and you think you're invincible and you think you know the answers to everything in life. And, uh, you know, and of course your career and your marriage and your relationships and your harborside house, they're all going to meet your, your hunger and your thirst and you're, you're never going to get lost. But when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, then you say, I want a shepherd. I need a shepherd. I need it. So, because you know why we need a shepherd? Because guess what? Here's what shepherds do in the ancient world. Now, I've just got to show you a picture here. This is shepherding that Jesus was talking about. There's a picture from Israel last year, all around the Middle East still. This is how shepherding happens. It's not thousands of sheep driven by, you know, mustered by, uh, you know, horses and dogs and people driving from behind. It's a shepherd in an intimate relationship with a handful of sheep, uh, spending their entire life with the sheep, uh, with a rod and a staff. And the staff is a great big club that you use. Um, to protect the sheep because this is what a shepherd does, friends, in the Bible and in life. This is what a shepherd does. A shepherd provides protection for the sheep. Sheep are terribly vulnerable. That's why the metaphor works so well for us because we are terribly vulnerable. A a shepherd uh, guides the sheep, right? Walks ahead. A shepherd uh, provides for uh, for the sheep, And a shepherd uh, heals the sheep. That's what shepherds do. Like, because guess what? Sheep are incredibly dumb and prone to wander. They have very little frontal lobe development. Tiny little brains. Uh, Do you know what? How do I know that's true? Do you know what? Have you ever come across a wild sheep? Are there flocks of wild sheep roaming the outback of Australia? Why not? Because they can't live without a shepherd. They can't live with they're too vulnerable. They have no defenses. What does a sheep do when a predator comes near? Meh, meh, looks around and gets eaten. That's it, man. See, you get extra animal impersonations for no extra cost here at this church. Do you know if you leave a sheep by itself, it can't find its way home? It just stands there. That's how stupid it is. Like honest to goodness. And you know what? Sheep left by themselves can't find their way to the next bit of water or the next bit of food. They just stand there, frozen, stupid. And they're not well suited to survival in the wild. So they need a shepherd because that's what they do. Shepherds beat off uh, the predators. Shepherds are guides. They stop the, the, the sheep getting into danger and harm's way. And so in the Middle East, what you do is in the day, you take your sheep out from the pen and you take them out and you lead them and you call them by name and you walk and you find water and you find food for them. You beat off the animals that would attack them. And then at night, you take them back into the sheep pen and you, and you protect them. And guess what? Sheep, shepherds in the Middle East sleep with their sheep. If they're out of the sheepfold, they actually sleep with them. So they're there 24-7 to protect them. And they provide food for them. They make sure they don't starve. And you know what shepherds do? Is when a sheep gets hurt, the shepherd picks it up and carries it back home and, and cares for it and restores it to full health. You don't have vets. You don't have all-terrain vehicles and four-wheel drives to get the sheep home. So today, as back in Jesus' day, if your sheep gets into trouble, what does the shepherd do? puts the sheep over its neck, and you can walk around the Middle East and you can see this still happening, puts the sheep over its back and carries the sheep home where it can heal it. Now, don't we all want that? Someone to do that for us? 
Well, yes and no, <laughs> to be honest, because actually it's not a very flattering way to think of yourself. <laughs> but yes and no, and we'll think a bit about that. We all have, putting my psychotherapist's hat on, we all have tremendous ambivalence towards authority and dependence. So to think of ourselves as dependent and vulnerable like a sheep, uh, at one level we know deeply that that is what we're like, but at another we don't really want it, do we? <laughs> I want someone to look after me, but I still want to be myself. We're like a kid, you know. I, well, she's not, she's not here. I remember Freya as a highly articulate three-year-old going, you know, we had a little bit of, you know, what you do with three-year-olds, bit of, you know, struggling around some boundaries, and Freya goes... I hate you, Daddy, but I love you. That's it. It's the ambivalence right there. I hate you because you're in charge and you're saying no and you're picking me up and putting me in my room, but I love you because you're my dad. And you're saying no and you're picking me up and you're putting me in my room and you care for me and I know you love me, but I hate you, but I love you. That's with shepherds, right? I don't want a shepherd, but oh man, I do. So, Throughout human history, various uh, uh, people and systems have been presented to us to function in this way as shepherds for us. So one way, uh, you know, one, one option which we see in uh, very traditional societies, you know, getting, uh, who's going to get us here? Uh, one option in traditional societies is it's your family or your tribe who function as your shepherd, your culture, right? So um, how do you get to the good life? How do you get to the life that really is life? Well, you do exactly what your family have always done before, don't you? It's a a collectivist or traditional model. still very common all around the world, uh, where if you said to someone, who's going to protect you, who's going to guide you, who's going to look after you, and who's going to heal you? Well, it's my clan, it's my tribe, it's my Ubuntu, my people. Uh, and this, this can be incomprehensible to us, but it, and it can sometimes result in terrible, terrible outcomes. So this week, um, we heard from a, a friend of one of our children, um, uh, a close friend of theirs, s- s- sent an email. She comes from a Saudi family, been living in Canada about 10 years, strict Muslim, Wahhabi Muslim, dad's a polygamist, and uh, this girl had... Um, left her family about six months ago and she emailed one of our children and said um, her sister had just been murdered by her father because her father had discovered that she had she'd gone off to university and she had a boyfriend and so to protect the honor of the family um, he'd killed her drowned her in the bath when she was home for the weekend from university now you and I go that's just outrageously evil, and it is, what moves somebody to do that? Well, because the tribe, Saudi culture, Islamic theology wrapped up in all of that, and an honor-shame culture says, this is, if, if, you're, if you're to have life that really is life, then protection of the honor of the family uh, is of paramount importance, and the honor of the family is inextricably caught up in the body of the women of the families, and so you must protect that honor at all costs. It's kind of terrible. But when you understand it on its own terms, you see why. Now, you know what the Bible calls stuff like that? 
And it's not just Wahhabi Islamists who are prone to such perverse submission to tribe and culture. The Bible says those are false shepherds, right? And Israel were full of them. And in fact, Jesus has a go in this passage at the false shepherds. And what, what we've seen over the last few hundred years in our culture is a reaction against that, haven't we? I mean, one of my favorite quotes from the French Revolution is uh, the saying that we'll only be free when the last general or when the last king is strangled with the guts of the last priest. Isn't that awesome? When you finally get rid of all these oppressive authorities that from outside of us, from tribe or culture or religion, uh, oppress us and tell us how we should live and impose their vision on us, and let's get free of all of that. Okay, so all in favor of that? Say, oh, oh, yeah. Let's get free of that kind of oppressive external uh, authority. And that's what we've done for the last two to 300 years. Now, of course, um, who is the shepherd? If we reject tribe and culture and family and tradition as the guide and the protector, who is going to tell us what the good life is and how we should get there? Fox News. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Hmm. In this context, I was thinking more The Guardian, but, you know. Um, Al Jazeera. <laughs> okay, now who is? Who's the source of authority and guidance and protection in our lives? It's the self, isn't it? I mean, we live in a selfie generation, but deeply, profoundly, just the social media stuff is, a, is actually just an outworking of this deep trend in our culture that we are the ones who decide, aren't we? It's our choice that makes life work. So, for example, you know, how do you decide what the good life is? Well, you have to find it out. You have to choose. No one can tell you what it is. You've got to decide what the good and the true and the beautiful is for you because what's good and true and beautiful for you could be very different to what's good or true or beautiful for me. And you have to make the choice. That's tough, right? For a generation where I can't even choose what I want to order at a restaurant, how on earth am I going to choose for myself what the true and the good and the beautiful is? I mean, this, we see this with our young people in schools, you know. You have, to, you have to construct your own life. You are responsible for your destiny. Find your passion, pursue it. That's just saying you find out and determine for yourself what life is. And you, now, one day you've got a bunch of 15-year-olds going, it's a cr- I mean, how do I do that, man? It's a crushing burden to find your own life. But that's what we do, right? So we're lost. So who's going to guide us in life? Well, you have to be your own guide. Above all else, Polonius, be true to yourself. I mean, that was an ironic statement showing that that's actually a dumb thing to do in Hamlet, right? But it's, that's the mantra of our day. You've got to, be, as long as what you're doing is authentic and true to yourself, look within yourself to find how you should really live. Don't let anyone else tell you. Put my Dr. Phil hat on. Well, how's that working for you? Mate, if I was just true to myself... Sometimes I'd be amazing. But sometimes I'd be genuinely awful. Wouldn't you? I don't, I don't want to be true. There's bits of me that I really don't want to be true to. So what, what am I going to be true to? But you've got to be true. You've got to provide for yourself. Competitive, late capitalist individualism says economically you've got to provide for yourself. 
because sure as heck the baby boomers are making sure they're not going to provide for you. <laughs> That's another story. Um, tell you how this works, right? Um, you know, you alone know what really, what your hunger and thirst is, so you alone are responsible to go out and get that man. Again, the, it's, a, it's a terrible burden, right? Like, no wonder, no wonder we have an epidemic of mental illness, cutting, eating disorders, broken relationships, just quiet desperation because we shove all this stuff in and we find it still doesn't work. But we don't have any other answers, so you just run from one thing to the next that you've you, you got to shove in that you think will make you satisfied and you discover that it doesn't, does it? And who's going to heal you? Who's going to heal me? Who's going to bind up our broken hearts? Who's going, to, who's going to put together the pieces of our aging, decrepit bodies? Well, it's you have to do that, don't you? Like in the end, it's the self. How does that work out? Well, positive psychology. I had a bit of a spray against that last week. Let me go again. Because um, I hate it. I also love it. There's a lot to, to commend it. But this is where it, this is where it gets, gets wacky, Right? So there's this trend that says um, what matters is how you think about the world. And so you are in charge of your own well-being because of the patterns of thought that you indwell and how you think about the world. Now, that has some positive stuff, right? Um, kind of the mindset work by people like Carol Dweck and others in education that says how kids, how the sort of mindset we have does shape our educational outcomes. But let me tell you this. Um, what do you say to someone uh, who has cancer, and you go, well, you know, you've just got to stay positive, right? We can beat this. We can put our pink ribbons on, and we can bright side. There's this wonderful book you should read called Bright Side. Um, if we're just positive, because you have, you, you have, you are, you're in charge of your own happiness and your own destiny and your own wellness, and holy crap, I can make so much money by telling, selling you that message. Do you know the person, you know, I can tell you with enormous accuracy uh, who the person is who is most likely to buy a self-help book within the next three months. Do you know who it is? It's a person who's bought a self-help book in the last three months. Because it's just throwing us back time after time on ourselves and look, it doesn't work. The research I've read says... You know, long-term survivability of cancer is not in any way statistically correlated to the positive outcomes that you bring to the cancer. You don't need science to tell you that. I'll give you a simple observation. Don't you know lots of really grumpy, miserable, selfish people who live a really, really, really long time? Stop thinking about your mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> and don't you know lots of extraordinarily beautiful people who are positive and vivacious and full of life who die tragically young? It, so this, I think, this, I think the, the, the ideology of self is a false shepherd that doesn't help us. And that's why... When you followed, you've lived for yourself all your life and you come to die, you start to say, I want 
Psalm 23 read at my funeral. No one gets Psalm 23 read at their graduation when they're 20 years old. Because <laughs> we still think it's going to work. But at your funeral, my funeral, my dad was dying of cancer. Hadn't seen much of him for many years. And uh, he just lived his own life. He, he, honest to goodness, really didn't give a stuff about anyone else. He didn't give a stuff about the law. He didn't care about what anyone else thought. He just was his own person. He was an authentic, free person. What did I read to him as he was dying of cancer? I went in and read Psalm 20, the only bit of the Bible I've ever read to him. And he just held onto my hand. The Lord's your shepherd, Dad. You know? Nothing else has worked for you, has it? Nothing else is working for you now. There's a third option. If you go culture and family and tradition's not going to work and you go self is not going to work, where are we going to find a shepherd who's going to protect us, guide us, provide for us and heal for us? Well, you know, the third option is, and um, gosh, no surprise here, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. It's like, look what he says, right? How does he describe himself? He says, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> That's a good shepherd. And what does this shepherd do for us? Well, he comes into the world that you and I might have life and might have it to the full. <laughs> here's, here's another way of drawing this picture, right? This is, what, this is how I think of it. Here's life. Here are you and me, we're on this journey. How do you describe Christianity? Every other religion is, you know, you've got to, you've got to figure out how to get to life following other rules. This Christianity is Jesus says, man, I'm going to come here. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I'm not going to tell you how to get to me. I am going to come to you. And you know what I'm going to do? Because you're prone to wander, you're stupid, you get lost. I'm going to pick you up. How's he going to pick us up? Well, the Bible says he picks us up on, his, on the cross. Like the cross is Jesus putting a dumb, stupid, stinking, broken, hurting, dying sheep on his shoulders. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to grab you. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. And you know what I'm going to do with you? And I'm going to take you home. I'm going to take you home. <laughs> That's what a good shepherd does, Right? A good shepherd comes and protects us. Jesus says, I'm going to come. I'm going to protect you from the evil within and I'm going to protect you from the evil without. If you're slung over the arms, over the shoulder of Jesus, then you're ultimately, utterly, completely safe. <laughs> he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you home. I'm not going to just point the way. I'm going to be the way that you come home. Like every other religious leader says, well, here's the path to enlightenment. Every other bit of positive psychology says, this is what you've got to do to get there. Jesus says, ah, 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 I am the way. I'm going to come. I'm going to take you home because I know you're not going to make it without me. And he says, I'm going to give you food that will satisfy and drink that will spring up from within you forever. I'm going to truly satisfy every deep yearning and longing of your soul. And he says, I'm going to heal you. 
I'm going to heal you. I'm going to wipe away all your tears. I'm going to take your broken heart and make it whole. I'm going to take your arthritic, decrepit body and I'm going to breathe new life into it. So all is made new and good and perfect and beautiful again. That's what I'm going to do for you. That's the good shepherd. Of course, how do you... How do you come to believe this? It's really hard. Because actually most of us, to be honest, don't want, even if we're religious, our tendency is to not to want Jesus as a shepherd. Our actual tendency is to want Jesus as a consultant who helps us out when we get into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> it's really hard to trust someone, isn't it? It's this ambivalence I talked about before. How do I know that Jesus will be a good shepherd, that he'll be powerful enough to to deal with me and that he'll be loving enough to deal with me (laughs) and all my crap? It's hard. It's a bit like getting your hair cut, ladies, isn't it? Now, men, you might have this struggle as well. I don't know. But I know we've we've moved around quite a bit. And one of the great struggles for Margot is, how do you find a good hairdresser? Isn't that funny? Because you go and you find someone and how do you sit in their chair and put yourselves in their hands and trust that you're gonna, it's going to be okay? Yeah, it's hard, right? That dependence is hard. How much more so with, with the big things in life? Not that hair isn't important, but you know, the really like, what are you going to do with your money and your time and your sex and your parenting and your marriage and your vocation? Like, trust you know, so we want Jesus as a consultant, but Jesus, I'm struggling to know what job I should take. Will you help me now? Oh, but don't get involved in my sex life. Don't get involved in my politics. Don't get involved in, you know, no, no, Jesus says, I want to be a shepherd. So how do, how do you trust him? Well, you know what? It's jolly hard. Here's two thoughts. One, you look at what he does for you. He lays, whoops, he, he, um, he lays down his life for the sheep. How do you know that he's trustworthy? Well, he held nothing back. The shepherd came and died for you. He's good. He loves you. And the shepherd rose again from the dead to conquer death. He's powerful to get you home. He loves you to come and fetch you, and he's powerful to get you home, so trust him. And you know what happens when you do that? You know what happens when you start to trust Jesus as shepherd? Um, which this is, this is where it starts getting very interesting. Uh, this life here starts to actually be lived in the present now. Because guess what happens? Isn't this true? When I discover that Jesus has protected me and I am safe in him and I don't have to worry about my life and my well-being, then for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have given their lives to protect the weak and the vulnerable. That's what we do as followers of Jesus, don't we? That's why we, we work for justice system reform through organizations like International Justice Mission. That's why we, that's why we uh, bring about labor reform and end the transatlantic slave trade. Because even when we're poking bad people, even when it might cost us our own lives, we're like, we're safe, we're secure, we've been protected, so now we will protect the poor and the vulnerable, won't we? That's what we've done. And for 1,500 years before Jesus came, that's what the Jewish people did. We, you know, when we discover that Jesus is the truth about the world, that he is a guide, guess what we do? We start, we set up, uh, we set up schools 
and universities, and we're at the forefront of science. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we know that this world has an inherent rationality because it's made by an intelligent creator who has a plan and a purpose. And so Christians, followers of Jesus, who've experienced Jesus as their guide, as the truth of this world, lead at the forefront of science. And we educate people and we set up schools and universities all around the world because we say the truth matters because we found the truth in a person. And we're the most thoughtful and open-minded and inquiring of all people in the world. And then what we discover is because we know that Jesus alone satisfies us, what do we do about hunger? Well, we feed the hungry and we clothe the naked and we set up organizations like World Vision and the Red Cross and we say we will not hold tightly onto our own material provisions because we know that what we have in Christ is all we ever really need. So we become of all people in the world the most radically generous. And guess what? The data proves that. Followers of Jesus are the most philanthropically engaged people in any developed economy. It's pretty cool. Because it works. Because it's true. So trust him. What about healing? When I know that Jesus is the divine healer, what do I do? I give my life to heal others. I set up hospitals all around the world. I, I spend my life as Catherine Hamlin doing fistula repair operations in the Horn of Africa. I, I go and care for lepers in an era before anyone understood leprosy, but they were complete outcasts. And I, and I set up hospices and hospitals and care centers for lepers even as I contract leprosy and die myself of it. That's what I do because I know my ultimate healing is in Jesus Christ. So I, I do medicine and I care. And you know what I do in the third century when the plagues come through the Roman Empire? I, as a follower of Jesus, knowing that my healing is here in Christ, I stay in the cities and care for the poor who get struck down by the plague while all the rich and the powerful and the pagan priests and the politicians flee to the countryside for their own safety. I stay and I die as I care for the poor and the sick. That's what we do, isn't it? That's life. As I know that I'm protected and guided and provided for and healed, so I do that for everyone. Oh. I that's what we need. <laughs> Let me ask you. Do you know that the Lord is your shepherd? <laughs> You're treating him as a consultant. You're still just trusting yourself. Thanks, Joel. Joel's going to come and going to give us a time just to respond. Just bring to bring to Jesus your fears, your ambivalence, your hurt.
the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. shepherd be our protector be our guide be our provider be our healer